So I specifically asked Sandy and Chantel to put that song in our sailor this morning because, um, one, how much it speaks to me to find my sufficiency even as I walk daily and, and stumble and bumble through this life that I realize that the only um, true fulfillment that I can find is in Christ and His love. And how it transforms me morning by morning with new mercies. Um, the second reason was is because King David, when he wrote that psalm, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. We realized that the thirst and the hunger for David was to know the love of God for him. And that it was in that love that he would find all sufficiency. It's, it's an interesting thing that David does not say, or God does not say about David, here's a man after my will. Or here's a, here's a man who uh, does a great job as a king. Or here's a man who's completely faithful to me. But God's description of David is this, that here is a man after my own heart. That he, that he will conform his thinking. He will conform his will. He will conform his life, both in action and in repentance, to find himself immersed in God's love. And in that he finds his sufficiency to walk with God. So we too must look to our elder brothers and sisters of the Scriptures. We must imitate and emulate their teachings to us that teach us that love is all-sufficient. We read these things in 1 Corinthians 13, and now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. I've I've pondered that for years. Why, why is that the greatest? Well, the answer to that is somewhat found in the text of 13 where we realize that tongues will cease, prophecies will cease, and tongues will cease and be silent. In the same way, there will come a day where faith will not be needed. That we will see things perfect. That we will see things clearly that that which we ponder about, which that which we hope for, those things that we have questions about, will be fully answered. And the need to, to stretch, and the need to exercise, and the need to contemplate, and all of our disciplines, which are greatly needed in this life, the day will come when they will be fulfilled fully and perfectly. The same way with hope. Those things that we hope for, those things that we wish about, those things that we know that our certain destiny is out there, it will be completely fulfilled. Every tear will be wiped dry. All of those spots in our lives where we stumble and bumble like I do daily, they will be completed. And hope will be perfected. But what will be left? 
what will be left? What will be left is the relentless love of God for His people and we His people for our God. And from that, all action in heaven, all things for our eternal future will flow from that one source of God's love for His people and His, their, His people for their God. Our praises, whatever our new work is on the new earth and in the new heaven, whatever our relationships will look like then, which will be so much more magnificent than they are now, so much more complete than they are now, we will know that everything is generated from the sufficiency of God's love for His people and His people for their God. So let me summarize what we looked at quickly. Let me give you three things to summarize our thoughts on this. First thing is intentional love is the only thing that brings meaning to life. Intentional love is the only thing that will bring meaning to this life. Because it is what brings meaning to the life to come. The second thing is intentional love is the only thing that will bring blessings in this life. Because everything flows from the intentional and relentless love of God for you. And the third thing, intentional love is the only thing that will last. All things pass away, but love remains. So how can you and I begin to experience this summary? How can we begin to experience love sufficiency with all of its meanings and its blessings? The answer to that question is this. We find our whole being in the sufficiency of God's love for us in Christ Jesus. That we find our whole being in the sufficiency of God's love for us in Christ Jesus as demonstrated by Jesus for us. Who may be better to turn to for examples of what this love might look like than the beloved Apostle John in his first epistle in the fourth chapter? If you turn there with me, we will look at these scriptures this morning as we look at love sufficiency. First John chapter four, beginning with verse seven. So we want to ask this first question. What does it look like for us to be loved and lovers of God? The apostle John writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born and knows God. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. The first thing we see here is love is a response. That because God has loved us and we know God and God knows us, we respond in the way that we love one another. There's something important for us to realize. When we use this word love, we have a new modern connotation and definitions of what love looks like that has very little to do with what love is being explained as in the Scriptures. It's almost become a salutation. It's almost become a just a colloquialism. Love you, love you too. Don't know what's going on in your life. Haven't prayed about that lately. Forgotten the names of your three children. 
not real sure what you do for a living, have no clue what you're struggling with, but love you. You see, that's where our culture has gone with love. It's a way to get off the phone. It's a way to end an email. It's a way to end a text. It's a way to end the night. But the love that John is talking about here is an agape type love. It's a willful love. It moves beyond sentimentality into commitment. And intentionally so. We all have fond feelings for one another, I'm sure. But there's a big difference between fond feelings and the type of love that God is calling us to, which is a sacrificial love, not only to Him, but also to one another. That we would come before the throne of God and say, God, I understand who You are. God, You have revealed Yourself through displayed nakedness and humility on a cross to show me how much You love me. You exerted Your power as You came forth from the grave, empowered by the love of Your Father for You and giving eternal life that burst burst through from You into our lives. We understand the powerful and the relentless love of God. And therefore, we respond to that love by saying, Lord, use me as a living sacrifice to intentionally love others in the way that You have loved me. And therefore, God, I will be obedient. I will submit. I will repent of my own will. On my own agenda, I'll repent of my own definitions. I'll repent of living a life in my own sufficiency and I will humble myself to live in the sufficiency of your love and say, I shall not be in want, therefore I'm full to serve others and to love others, to speak truth into others' lives, to take your cross and follow Jesus. You see, love is a response to an agape love that God has for us and we respond with an agape love not only for God, but also for one another. I don't know. I have found that maybe the most um, living example of unconditional love that I've experienced so far has been for my grandchildren. Those of you who are grandparents will get that. There's nothing like a grandchild. They can, oh, they can abuse you, they can, and you can tell their parents, you'll get over it. (laughs) Teenagers are another story, though. (laughs) Those of you who have teenagers, you realize what agape love is. You willfully love them. You have to make the choice. I'll love you today even though I'd like to slit the tires of the car you drive because you have caused my insurance premium to go up 155%. I will love you. Even though you disrespect me as your parent, I will intentionally love you. Now that love may look like some restriction. That love may look like uh, if there's... If it's, oh, never mind. That love may manifest itself in many different ways. It may not necessarily look friendly. 
And you, like me, may be able to tell your children, you know, there's days you're not going to like me, but you'll know that I love you. But it's in those moments, isn't it, that we intentionally display the love of Christ for our children? When we say, I will bear with you through these teenage years, Even as we hear the baby cry this morning, is it not a mother's intentional love to try to soothe her child? Is it convenient at three in the morning to get up and change a diaper? Absolutely not. Is there a temptation sometimes to lay in that bed and go, I don't, I don't know, it, it can just sit there. <laughs> if we were honest, we would all who had children nod yes. But there's something in us that makes a willful decision that says, no, I will go change that diaper because I love that child. You see, that's obedience. It's a response. And in that response... We offer it to others. Notice too that it's also born of God. And anyone who knows the Father, I'm sorry, it's born of God. And if we're born of God, we know God. And it's interesting that love is identified here as an offering and not a threat. Beloved, let us love one another because if you don't, you're going to get your tail kicked. Beloved, let us love one another because you have to. No, that's not how the Apostle or God describes what love looks like. It's a respond to me because I love you. Because God first loved us, we love. It was God's love for us, not a threat to us, that has caused us to respond. And then love is a revelation, not sentimentality. As I said before, love identifies our true nature. Look at verse 8 with me. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. You see how essential this quality of ours is? You see how essential being a person who loves God and is a lover of others to the knowledge of who God is? And it identifies who we belong to? You see, this is where the Pharisees missed the whole gospel. They loved the things of God much more than they loved God. They loved their tradition more than they loved God. They loved their law more than the lawgiver. It revealed their character when Jesus came and said, You don't know me. You don't serve me. You are not obedient to who I am. You're obedient to your own agenda. When Jesus came, the revelation of what God's love looked like came with Him. And it is the identifier of those who know Him and those who do not know Him. 
It couldn't be more clear than anyone who does not love does not know God. Anyone who does not intentionally choose to love God and love like God doesn't know Him. And I tell you, this is where I believe the Western church has so become impotent. We hail our programs, we hail our agenda, we hail our theology, we hail our music, we hail our pulpits, we hail all things except one important essential thing, and that is the transforming love of God through Jesus Christ for sinners. What can change another person's life? What can change your life? Is it not being loved transformationally by God. Even as people who have walked with Jesus for years, we must understand we need to be continually seeking that transforming power of God's love for us on a daily basis. We must drink from that endless well of living water over and over and over again. Because it is that which identifies who we are. It is the one quality that we have that tells the world to whom we belong. Love is also very real and very responsive. It's not, it's not something that's ethereal. It's, it's a practical action-burdened event in our life. Look at verses 9 and 10 with me. In this, the love of God was made manifest amongst us, among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And in this love, not that we have loved God, but that He has sent His Son to be... I'm sorry... Not that we have loved God, but rather that He has loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation or the redemption or the payment for our sins. In this love, not that we loved God first, but that He first loved us and sent Jesus. What could be a more real display of what love looks like except the love of the Son for the Father to the point of hanging on a cross. To an obedience that said, I will follow You, Father, and trust in You all the way to the cross and beyond. That's real love. That's not sentimentality. That's not an apparition. That's the kind of love that bleeds It's the kind of love that sweats. It's the kind of love that pulls its muscles to carry a cross up a hill. It's the kind of love that will hang there on a tree for the world to throw things at. It's that kind of love, you see, that's a real love. It's a practical love. It's a saving love. It's a love that has dirt under its fingernails. It's a love that smells. It's a love that's real. And it's a love by choice. 
by the will of God to love you and I in such a way that we could never be mistaken of the revelation of how God loves us and calls us to respond. So now that we know what love looks like and how to be what it looks like to be loved by and lovers of God, let us also ask where's the security to express this kind of love to unloving people? How do we love those who are unlovable? You've heard me say several times now, and whatever time God has for me to be with you even longer, that we love each other not because of one another, but in spite of one another. I tell you, Lee and I have been so loved by this body. You have taken us into your homes. You have fed us. You have taken us on trips. You have loved us in many, many practical ways. And we have been so blessed by the way East Glenville has loved us. And we hope that in that time that we've been with you, we've loved you as well. But I know there, for some of you, maybe, maybe not all, but for some, you've had to choose to love me. For some of you, those things that you thought were cute in the beginning have become irritants now. You see, familiarity really does breed contempt. But isn't it there? Isn't it in that moment? Isn't it at that spot that we say, God, I will to love that person. I will choose to put aside that which I differ. I will choose to intentionally, in spite of all that individual's flaws, love them. You may find this hard to believe, but one or two of you have gotten on my nerves as well. I think it was just one, maybe, well, six. Could be 12. We'll stop with 15. Phil told me that you got on my nerves. But isn't it there that the pastor says he would love the flock that God has put under his care? Isn't it there that the pastor says, I need to surrender my own agenda and live under the agenda of God for his people? But isn't that that makes up isn't that what makes up the church? Isn't that what makes us a body? Isn't that what we will celebrate for eternity? The unity of our love for one another? Yes, I'm an interim. There'll be a day that we leave. And I will, like the Ephesians, with Paul, with the Ephesians elders, I will weep. But we will be together forever. We are all interim. It's just a question of whether it's tomorrow or a week from now. Or a decade from now. Believe it or not, your new pastor, when he comes, he will be interim. 
Because God is always moving His body and shaping His body and constructing His body and dispersing His body in a way that spreads the Gospel across the earth for His glory and for His way of loving the lost. And the one thing that characterizes us and holds us together, whether we're in upstate New York or whether we're in Texas or whether we're in Alaska or whether we're in California, is that we devise to intentionally love one another forever. How do we do that? We see it in verse 11 as our life's purpose. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to so love one another. If God loved us this way, then you and I must love one another the same way. Jesus left. His Spirit has remained, but He sits on high at the right hand of the Father and rules the universe. Not physically present with us, but always relationally with us. Relentlessly loving us. But He never forgets His purpose. To love His people. To love His church. To feed her. To care for her. To provide for her. And we too must not forget our life's purpose, and that is to show that same type of love to one another while we're together. You and I, in verse 12, it says, are to be vessels of God in community, and that's where we find our completeness. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, though, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. You see, as we intentionally love one another and we engage in this community of love with one another under the headship of Christ, we experience Christ. You want more of God? You want more of God's power in the church? You want more of God in your life? Love like Him more. You see, from this verse we understand that we may not see Him, but if we love one another, we understand that He abides in us, that He's here with us, He resides with us. It's impossible not to experience Him when He's abiding with us. And then look at verse 16 with me. We find that this kind of love is reliable. So it's our purpose. We understand we're a community that finds our completeness in that. And in verse 16, it's reliable. So we have come to know and believe that the love of God, that the love God has for us, God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God and God in Him. What could be more reliable than our abode, our centrality, our home is with and in God? That's where we find the security to love other people. We realize that God's love is sufficient for us. That God's love beckons us into obedience. That God's love calls us into repentance of being selfish and self-centered people and to become selfless and Savior-centered people. 
and everything else in our life. The things that we have challenges with, the things that we struggle with, the people who we sometimes have friction with, everything in our life then flows out of that love. And that's where reconciliation, understanding, and redemption are reliable. And from that security to express that kind of love to unloving people, we find this. The third point here, what are the blessings of being the people who are loved by and lovers of God? In verse 17, we find confidence. By this love, by this, by this is love, but, I'm sorry, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence on the day of judgment because he, as he is, I'm sorry, because as he is so, also we are in the world. What the apostle is telling us is this. Because God has loved us and we love Him and we display that love to one another, we can be secure on the day of judgment to have no fear. To stand before the throne of God and realize the words that we will hear is well done and good and faithful servant. It will also give us courage to live. Not only confidence, but also courage. In verse 18, there is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. You see, the love of God took care of the punishment for you and I. We really have no business punishing one another. Because the love of God has taken that punishment away from us doesn't mean we do not look to discipline one another or to disciple one another or to be encouragers in one another, to exhort one another into the faith. It's not what is being said here. What's being said here is that fear that comes with someone who has a hammer to hurt you instead of a word of God to encourage you with has disappeared. That we look to build one another up. We look to encourage one another. We speak that which is faithful and true to one another. We lock arms because we have that one purpose for the world to know the love of God. We find courage there. We realize we're not alone. Have I told you all the story of Charlie the Blind Mule? I don't think I have. A farmer had a blind mule named Charlie, and Charlie got himself stuck in a ditch. And a salesman drove by, and he saw the farmer there in the ditch with Charlie, and he said, Sir, can I help you? He said, Oh, no, Charlie's got it. He said, Well, sir, I see your mule is blind. How's, it, how's he going? He said, Let me just watch. So he gets back behind the reins and he says, Come on, Charlie. Come on, Wilbur. Come on, Oscar. <laughs> Pulls him right out of the ditch. The salesman asked the farmer, he said, How did that happen? Who is, who's Wilbur and Oscar? 
He said, well, you know, man, Charlie's blind. He doesn't know they're there. He thought he had a whole team with him. <laughs> when you and I love one another in obedience, we can accomplish an awful lot for Christ when we encourage one another. If that's true about a blind mule that has imaginary friends, how much tr- more true is it for the people of God who have real friends? What kind of hell can we walk through and come out of when we realize we're together? What kind of chains can be broken when we realize we're helping each other break our chains? What will God do with a church that is encouraging one another for the glory of Christ? What will God do with a church that finds itself in repentance daily to the Gospel? Because we are meant to live that way. Look at this, and we'll finish here this morning. 19-21 through We love because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from Him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. If we love God, we must love and live in community. And we must be for each other and with each other. doesn't mean we don't disagree. It doesn't mean that we don't see things differently. But it does mean that we all have the same agenda to glorify Christ with the transforming love of God for other people. The day will come when we are together before the throne of God. From that point, we're going to be stuck with one another for a long, long time. But I tell you this morning, even in this room, there's somebody who doesn't know that love. They're clueless to know that God loves them in such a way. And you're wondering, could I really be loved right now? I want you to know you can be. There are some of you who have walked with Jesus and not experienced that love in a long, long time. And I want you to know you can. You say, how? Believe that He loves you and start loving others in the way that He loves you. We must intentionally love one another. We must intentionally love God. We must repent of our own wills and live in the will of the Son who has loved the Father and complete obedience. Two things. Possibly this morning, you are one of those people. I want you to know I'll meet with you after church. If you're that one of those people that doesn't know what it means to be loved by God or the love of God, there's a little room right back here. Come and see me. I'm going to go there right after church and I will pray with you and talk with you about how to love God and be loved by God. The second thing is, tonight around 6 o'clock, I'm going to just be up here with a time of prayer. If you'd like to join me, it's real impromptu, real casual. shouldn't feel guilty if you can't make it. But I'm just going to be up here praying around 6 o'clock for about 45 minutes if you want to join me. Just praying about things that come to our heart about what God might do with us if we learn what it means to really be followers of Christ. Join me if you'd like.
But understand this. Whether we're here or on the other side of the globe, the one thing that connects us and will always connect us is the love of God for us. It is all sufficient. Let's pray.